Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 239 Consensus Buddhism and Mindful Mayo. We're joined this week by computer scientist and author David Chapman to explore his critiques of what he calls Consensus Buddhism. This is part one of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. Uh, This is Hokai Sobel hosting uh, this show, and I'm delighted to be joined by David Chapman. Thank you, David, for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Hokai. It's great to be on the show. Cool. Uh, Now, just as a little intro for those who uh, may not be familiar with your work, David Chapman is both a geek and a Buddhist. As a geek, uh, he has a PhD in computer science and has worked in cognitive science research and in chemistry labs. As a Buddhist, He's practiced in the Aro system of Vajrayana since 1997. He writes about the history, present, and future of Buddhism on several websites, and you can find links to these uh, at uh, meaningness.wordpress.com. And that's meaningness with an N. Okay, uh, so uh, David, uh, there are quite a few things uh, we could be discussing uh, for this episode, but the most interesting of them is something you've been writing about for a while now, and uh, you already have a series of articles online, and uh, it's a growing series, a series that isn't finished, and it's about something called consensus Buddhism, a term uh, you invented. So my you know, opening question would be, why are you doing it, and what do you hope to accomplish with this consideration of consensus Buddhism? Well, my aim is to cheerlead for innovative new forms of Buddhism, and understanding some recent history can help with that. I think we're at an exciting time. Western Buddhism from the early 1990s until just recently was dominated by a narrow idea of what a Western Buddhism must be. But that's now starting to collapse, and that means that there's a new opening for new forms of Buddhism. That possibility had been closed due to the power of a a false consensus about Western Buddhism and what it should be. The problem is not so much that this, what I call consensus Buddhism, is not that it's wrong, but that its dominant mindshare crowded out all alternatives. It actually was a a brilliant, intuitively attractive and innovative solution to the problems faced by a particular group, which was alternative-ish middle-class American baby boomers who wanted a spiritual path that fit with their other values. But, you know, this kind of Buddhism has limited appeal to other groups and especially to younger generations. So it stood in the way of 
other Buddhisms that might appeal to those other groups. Tell us more about consensus Buddhism, its perspective now. How does it do what it does? Well, I, I think a fundamental question is, should Western Buddhism be one thing or should there be many different Western Buddhisms? The implicit consensus view is that Western Buddhism should be a single, inclusive modern system. It sees Western Buddhism as part of the general progressive movement that came out of the 1960s and 70s youth counterculture, mm. a movement to reform society, culture, and consciousness, a movement that is meant as an antidote to the nihilistic, oppressive consumer capitalism of the mainstream culture, which existed in the 50s and 60s. And part of the view of that counterculture is that in order to oppose the dominant culture effectively, it has to gather as broad a coalition as possible with a single shared universal vision. Okay. When that's applied to Buddhism, in order to be as inclusive as possible, the view is that the differences between Asian Buddhisms are merely cultural political, historical, or else they're highly technical academic details. And what really matters for Western Buddhism is the heart essence that all Buddhisms have in common. So the view is that our Western Buddhism must combine the best bits or the core essence bits of all the Asian Buddhisms together with Western values such as social equality and Western methods such as psychotherapy. Well, I guess many Western Buddhists would agree with most of these points. Now, is there a problem with that? And if so, what's the alternative? Well, I think there is a problem. I think different people have different problems and different goals and different abilities. And so I think there needs to be many different kinds of Buddhism which serve different sorts of people. I think actually the most important aspects of different Asian Buddhisms are not what's shared in common among them. The, the most important things are actually differences that are fundamental and not just cultural my framework for thinking about this is the yanas. Yeah, um, yeah. Quite different methods in the different yanas that are aiming at apparently quite different goals using different fundamental principles. And I think you can't mix up those systems and hope to get good results. It's not a problem that the yanas are different, contradictory, and historically in conflict with each other. I think you know, diversity is good, but if they really are fundamentally different, then a, an honest consensus system that is a unification of all of these is actually not possible. I think all Buddhisms are solutions to particular social and cultural problems and this thing I call consensus Buddhism was a solution to problems that arose in the 60s and 70s, and those problems are past. We have new spiritual problems, new social problems, new cultural problems, 
and we're going to need some new solutions for those. So from what you're saying, it seems the consensus is not exclusively limited to the Western world, but nor is it entirely overlapping with what Ken Wilber described as boomeritis Buddhism. So what is this so-called consensus? You talk about it as a consensus Buddhism, as if it were a well-defined thing, but I'm not sure it's easy to recognize it uh, out there. Yes, we live in a globalized world. That's one of the ways in which things are different. The consensus is a style or approach to Buddhism that has its own values, beliefs, and methods. It's also an informal organization or an alliance, a a political movement that promotes this approach. And as you say, it, it is actually, although people often talk about Western Buddhism, I think it is a a global movement. It involves Asian teachers just as much as Western ones. As a style or an approach, the view is that the essential shared core of all forms of Buddhism is meditation plus a liberal Western view of ethics. Hmm. And I think both of these They're actually great. Um, I want to very much preserve those as part of Buddhism. However, this view leaves out a lot of what I think is most valuable in Buddhism. The consensus view is based on some principles that are, are Western ideas that it wrongly takes to be universal, but they're actually specific to a time and place. And they're all ideas that I think are are good. I like them. But if they're absolutized, then they become a problem. And this is where I do see a problem with the consensus. I have a, a list of five. Let's hear the list. Yeah. Each of these has problems if they're taken as absolutes. The first principle is inclusivity, which I mentioned as sort of a key idea. The difficulty here is that it's impossible to accommodate everyone's needs in a single framework, I think. Okay. A second principle is individualism, which I think is great. But if that is taken to mean that ultimate spiritual authority comes from personal experience and personal conceptual understanding exclusively, that can lead you astray because it's easy to fool yourself and get confused, and you really need input from other sources. Oh, yes, yes. Something that you've written about that I think is really important is a third principle of egalitarianism, which is a fundamental principle of Western culture, and I'm completely in favor of it. But if that's taken to mean that everyone is equal, in fact, in every way, in particular spiritually, then there's no possibility for asymmetrical religious roles, especially a teacher-student relationship, has to be based on an inequality of a particular sort. Mm -hmm. I think that real progress on the Buddhist path requires a committed spiritual apprenticeship, and that means you have to put certain extremist ideas of egalitarianism aside. 
the fourth principle is particular approach to ethics or behavior, how one ought to be, which is kind of politically correct, psychotherapeutically correct. It's nice. I've written about nice Buddhism. There's the idea that you know what's really important is to have good intentions and be inoffensive and be you know harmonious and cooperative and caring for everybody. All of these are very good things. If that's the only basis for ethics, though, being nice, this tends towards a kind of cowardice, and I think it's based on anxiety, ethical anxiety, and sort of psychological anxiety. Hmm. Consensus Buddhism has got an excessive emphasis on emotional safety. It's very non-confrontational, unconditionally supportive, peaceful, and, you know, this is certainly appropriate for children of a certain age and maybe for people who have somehow been severely emotionally hurt. But I find it sort of repulsive and ridiculous as an approach for grown-ups. And then um, a fifth principle is this word mindfulness. I was shopping at a holistic supermarket a few weeks ago, and I saw this product they have called Mindful Mayonnaise. (laughs) And, you know, the the word mindfulness has just been smeared out so far that (laughs) It could mean anything. It's just anything you like. You say, oh, yes, that's mindful. And if you don't like it, you say, oh, you're not being mindful there. Mayonnaise is a good metaphor for this approach to Buddhism. It's sort of homogeneous, bland, and beige. Mindfulness actually began, as far as I can tell, with vipassana meditation, which is actually a very specific, hardcore practice which arose in a context of you know very different from consensus buddhism it was an ascetic and renunciative practice and i've got some questions about how and whether that functions in the non-renunciative context that we have now in the west mm. we we can come back to that but you imply the consensus has a power structure. Now, are you saying that Western Buddhism, seemingly a very heterogeneous and uh, diversified cultural phenomenon, has some kind of religious hierarchy? Surely not. Well, I think there's a, a key question in Buddhism in general that's highly problematic, which is where should spiritual authority lie? The founders of consensus Buddhism were hippies, you know, by their own account. The hippies had a very much an anti-authority view, and so that meant that when they themselves came into position of power, they didn't organize themselves in terms of an institution, a central institution, and there's not an overtly visible power structure. Uh, what they say is that spiritual authority lies with the individual. Mm. Um, That's the individualist idea. I mean, there's some obvious problems with that. So they say, oh, well, spiritual authority lies with the community. Mm. And one of the buzz phrases you'll hear is the collective wisdom of the sangha. 
What you see in practice, though, is that the leaders of this movement actually implicitly claim the right to define the single one true Western Buddhism. And so they're saying, okay, we speak for the community. Okay, so we're standing out of the consensus at the moment. So be specific. Who are you talking about? Yeah, I'm a little bit reluctant to name names because I think what's important here is ideas and historical trends. But mm. I think some people have sort of challenged me saying, well, we don't think this thing actually exists. So, yeah, who are you talking about? And yeah. I think the, the Insight Meditation Society leaders, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and some others are – key players, uh, Lama Surya Das, and I know less about it, but the the Harada Yasutani lineage of Zen in America, particularly maybe Bernie Glassman uh, mm. and some others. There's a manifesto of this movement, which is written by Joseph Goldstein of the IMS. It's a book called One Dharma. And you know when he says One Dharma, he's saying, okay, I have got a visionary synthesis of all Buddhist traditions. This is his words, a unified theory of Dharma, um, mm. which is the right thing for the West. He kind of waffles on that. He says that very strongly in some places. In other places, he kind of draws back and said, well, yeah, but they, there might be some problems with this. Mm-hmm. So there is a recognition by those leaders that there's something a little askew about this vision. But I think they've gone with it, and you know the way they they exert power is not through an institution or a hierarchy, but through controlling, forming discourse, the way that people talk about Buddhism. They are able to say what counts as nice, correct Western Buddhist thinking and behavior. Uh, versus what has to be rejected as not really Buddhist, on our view of Buddhism, or not appropriate for the West. Okay, okay. Now, it'd be great if you can give some examples of that at work. Now, what are you saying it's being suppressed, or how can this consensus even do that? Well, the consensus says... It's not nice to discuss religious differences because we're all Buddhists here. We ought to set aside minor fussy doctrinal differences and come together to celebrate our shared purpose and the essential unity of all Buddhists. Mm. That sounds, you know, really great. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. But it's actually a strategy for domination mm. because If Buddhism is one thing, then whoever gets to define that one thing can suppress all the alternatives. You know, whoever is in charge of defining that can create a kind of groupthink or, you know, at best a tyranny of the majority. Well, that that tends to happen automatically, even without intended, right? Yes. I think we need to... There's this suppression of discussion of the essential differences between different Buddhist approaches in the name of being nice. And I think it's wrong to sweep contradictions 
under the rug. I think it's possible to argue about differences between different traditions and actually to say, you know, I think this is wrong because while being constructive and respectful, mm-hmm. we were referring back to ideas about right speech. It's difficult to challenge the consensus because if you insist that differences actually matter and some things might be better or worse than others, you're likely to get shouted down as aggressive because you're stubbornly insisting on something that the consensus folks want to dismiss as trivial, or you get uh, dismissed as academic or excessively intellectual because when Buddhism is reduced to the supposed core, which tends to turn into a kind of New Age mush, Mm. then any distinction seems excessively technical. Uh, The consensus tends to marginalize other voices as traditional. It sees itself as modern and defines itself in opposition to tradition. You can get called traditional if you want to preserve some, I think, essential features of Asian Buddhism that the consensus would like to drop because it they're not consistent with its view, mm-hmm. uh, even though those, I think, are not just cultural accidents. Mm-hmm. And you also, in opposing the consensus, because it's coming out of a particular political, cultural viewpoint, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of really a middle-class, late 20th century ideology that may not be universal, you're attacked as promoting ideas that are incompatible with Western values. Mm. So I think using excuses like that, the consensus has been, until very recently, quite successful at suppressing the possibility of innovative alternatives in the name of tolerance. The idea is that you know we need to be tolerant and, and nice, and by doing that, you can actually shut people up. Mm. The consensus describes itself as a progressive force, which I think it actually was back in the 70s or 80s when these ideas emerged. But over time in the 90s, it actually became a really self-righteous, closed-minded and conservative establishment which has opposed innovation mm. and has been unable to see valid alternatives because it's kind of fixed. It fixed its own form in place in the 90s, early 90s. It has been unable to allow itself to evolve into something more sophisticated. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. 
This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.